It is your money, and welcome to the program. If you have a financial question for today's guests, you can call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that is one eight 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 six advice And you can always email your questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. And you can call right now at 651-461-9226 if you have a question. Now, his, here is Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Welcome to both of you. Good morning, Susie. Good morning, Bruce. Hello, Peg. Hello, Susie Jones. And I just want to say, first of all, ladies, you both sound like you're feeling better. I know you both were a little under the weather last week. Are, are we doing better? I'm definitely doing better compared to where I was. So thank you for asking and, and knowing that my voice sounds better today. Yes, and I would agree completely. I would say ditto that my voice and how I felt last Sunday would not have gotten me through the hour. But here we are. So good, mm-hmm. good to be back in full form. You both sound great today. Hey, Susie, Peg and I today, we're going to talk a little bit and listeners um, about uh, tax planning or it's tax season. Many of you like me are getting W-2s in the mail and 1099s. And I know a lot of people, Peg, think, well, it's, it's early February. I don't want to worry about it yet. I don't have to file until the middle of April. But I think one of the points we want to make today is the sooner you can get this done and get out ahead of it, it can probably alleviate stress, but there might also be some economic benefits in terms of tax planning. So um, we thought today we would would talk a little bit or give a list of some some do's and don'ts pertaining to, to filing your tax return and being smart about it and being efficient about it. And kind of as a lead in, a, a, a reoccurring theme on our show is, and, and, and something we talk to clients about all the time, people are guilty of worrying about things that they have no control over. Oh, my gosh, what if the stock market crashes? Oh, my gosh, what if the Fed keeps raising interest rates? Oh, my gosh, what if they lower interest rates? Um, and those are all things, inflation, what the stock market does interest rates that we do not have any control over. But what we're talking about today, being efficient, getting your data, filing early, filing accurately, looking for ways to maybe reduce your taxes, which if you can, reducing your taxes is actually one of the most efficient ways to enhance your return on investment. This is something you definitely have control over. So let's focus on things that we can control rather than focusing all the time, like so many people do, on things that they can't control anyway. Peg? Yeah, because, Bruce, the listeners today listen to us religiously on on, um, our show, so they probably have their 2023 folder ready to be able to pull out of the file drawer. So the suggestion that I have forever made, because I do it, is I create a file right away. So there's a 2024 file in my file drawer and anything that pertains to 2023, because 2023 is still there, it all goes in that file. And believe me, in 2024, I already have items in there. Um, And so it starts at the beginning of the year, but let's go to 2023. Uh, We suggest to all clients and listeners that you file on time. Now, this is one of the first years in a couple of years that actually April 15th is the 
deadline. You know, there was that holiday and we got till the 7th. So just remember now it is April 15th. Many, many of us file extensions because we don't have all of our forms uh, yet. But that does not relieve you from trying to figure out what is it that you may owe the government, the IRS. And so even if you file a six-month extension, you, a lot of people, including myself, end up writing a check already April 15th and paying in. Um, otherwise, you're going to get some kind of penalty. Now, uh, filing early, I, I don't suggest that in that um, some people just feel so confident that they've got everything. But our experience is that if you are an investor, and many of our clients are, right? And they get these 1099s. But what happens is, is it's almost unrealistic that these companies can have all these numbers prepared and ready to go in January. Um, but they mandate that they send you something. So every single year I see over and over, we get these corrected 1099s. So my theme, you know, to people who do have investments that maybe you do wait a little bit uh, and wait for that 1099 because every single year and for many years past, there have been these uh, 1099s. And then, you know, as much as I said, don't do it early, but don't be last minute either. Um, if, if you're an organized person and you're pretty much ready to go, a lot of times clients will just hold that return until it gets close. Um, to the 15th, because maybe you do owe. But at least if you know, you know, maybe 30 days in advance of April 15th, that you're pretty well prepared, ready to go. And then if a straggler 1099 or something comes in, you're still able to correct it versus if you've already filed and then you have to do it, do it over, I find that much more painful than just waiting to file. Bruce? Yeah, if you have to file an amended return, that is definitely more tedious and more laborious than, you know, just waiting longer and get it right. But it's interesting, Peg, because it is a fine line. You're, I agree with everything you said. You don't want to file too early if you're still probably going to get corrected or updated 1099s and such. But, you, but, but again, you don't want to wait till the last second. And you certainly don't want to be late. If you file late, you're looking at you know, penalties potentially and interest on the penalty, and it can really be painful to be late. And I like what you said, Peg. A lot of people do file extensions. Uh, I, I file an extension or always have literally every year because, again, I don't have all the documents and all the data that I need by April 15th. But people, I think a lot of people, I'm glad you brought that up, I think a lot of people don't realize. They think if they file an extension, they don't have to do anything for six months. You still have to make your estimated payment if you owe, and you still have to do something by April 15th. Um, so even filing an extension does not alleviate your obligation to do something. So um, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, but and I'm glad you said file as early as you reasonably can. But but you know again. Get your ducks in a row. Maybe you've got all your ducks in a row by the middle of February, but you say, I'm not going to file yet because I suspect I'm going to get some corrected 1099s in March, and then I'll be, I got everything else ready. I just have to wait for the updated, accurate information, and then I pull the trigger on this thing. Peg? 
Yeah, some of the bad news is is that when we talk about the IRS and they can uh, give you penalties for all sorts of things, uh, the current interest rate is 8% compounded daily. I mean, that's huge. So as much as we're saying, you know, pay attention, that's a reason to pay attention uh, there. And then there's also options for filers who cannot afford to pay their taxes. Um, So for taxpayers entering into the IRS payment plan, the penalty gets reduced to 0.25 a month or 3% a year. So there's some reprieve out there. Um, I I mean, in my lifetime, I've I've seen clients just totally goof up. I mean, and they 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 didn't pay, and and it's hard to get out of paying those penalties if you've made a mistake. So now the good news is, in December of twenty three, just recently, the IRS said that it would waive nearly one billion in late fees for taxpayers who owe for tax years of twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. And the reason they're doing that is just because of COVID. They didn't have the ability to send out notices like they normally do. So they're going to give some reprieve. Uh, So if there's anybody out there listening that's in that situation, you're going to want to um, investigate that. So then um, I would just, the next thing I would do is if you do work with a tax professional, and hopefully you do, that you get uh, that the organizer, I already got mine, and the organizer helps you go through a checklist of what you need to prepare. Um, in a lot of cases now, they're electronic. And this is new. This was new for me last year, too, whereby I used to hand write in my organizer and attach, you know, W-2s and 1099s and all those things. Well, now the CPA uh, prefers that I go online. And instead of me writing it down, they would like me to type it in. And I did that last year and it was very efficient. And, you know, you have an instant uh, correct copy. Uh, And then the same thing this year, I'll be uh, plugging in my numbers. And we're all about efficiency today, right, Bruce and Susie? We're, you know, why would I write it down and then have someone else type it in? And so I said, I can do that. And and it worked out really well. um, it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, that some people can't pay their taxes and not clients of mine, I don't think, but people that I've known in my lifetime can't pay the taxes and rather than figure out a payment plan or work with the IRS, just sort of ignore it and hope that the problem will go away. <laughs> it's not going to go away. You've got to address it. You've got to confront it. And you know, we all tell horror stories about how ruthless the IRS can be, but they are willing to work with you and, and, and develop a plan if you can't pay your full tax bill that's, that's due. Um, the other thing, Peg, that comes up a lot for me is I, I have clients, and again, just people I know in life, that purposely want to get a tax refund. And I think it's some sort of a forced savings plan for them, and they like that windfall or that infusion of capital. And if that's the only way you can save money, um, I'm probably not going to say anything to get them to stop doing it. But what you're actually doing when you pay more than you need to before you have to is you're giving the government an interest-free loan. They get to use your money. Instead of you putting it in an interest-bearing account and earning money for yourself, the government gets to do it. So 
I never like the idea of people getting a big refund, but some people do that and they do it on purpose. And it's just not something I would recommend. Peg? Yeah. Um, and, and today, at least we can make money on our money sitting in our savings. So I think it's another motivation to not let the IRS have your money or the government have it ahead of time. You know, this wasn't on our outline, but I think it's really important is um, with the IRS now, we actually each can apply for this PIN. And it's been out there um, for a couple of years already, but it's an identity protection PIN. And it's a six digit number. My CPA had me go through the process early last year, but it prevents someone else from filing your return, which is a really big deal these days because um, we've had that happen with a client um, or two. And all you do is you apply at the IRS website. Um, You do have to pass kind of an identity test, right? They want to know that you are who you are and it takes about 15 minutes to do it. And then you get the six-digit pin. Um, The IRS uses a service called ID.me. And when I did it, it was actually a virtual, um, it was a video when I did it a year ago. And there was a person on the other side and they asked me all sorts of questions about me and then said, oh, okay, you are who you are. Here's your pin. The other thing is, is I had a pin from last year, but my pin will change each year. So I highly recommend just with all that we hear today that, um, and, and if you work with a CPA, you already probably have your PIN, but if you're a self-preparer, I think it's a good idea uh, to do. Bruce? Um, I, if I use that, I'm not aware of it <laughs> because I'm so spoiled. My, my accountant, um, and it is wealth enhancement, my guy Jason kind of holds my hand and does everything for me. I give him my data. And he basically says, don't worry about it. I'll take care of everything. When it's ready, you sign it. Uh, I, I probably pay a little extra for that, uh, for that, for that white glove service that I get. But um, the, you, you raise a really, really good point, though, about you know, technology today and filing electronically. It's not only more efficient. It not only streamlines the process and improves the accuracy. It also uh, reduces the ability of, uh, of being hacked or someone else filing your return. So, you know, if you're keeping score at home, we're kind of talking about do's and don'ts. And we said, do number one, file as early as you you can. And do number two, uh, file electronically, use the technology available to to us today. What else do we have uh, pegged for people, some other do's? Well, a really big item is, do you qualify you know, to do a deductible IRA yet this year. We have until April 15th to not only do a deductible IRA, but a non-deductible IRA or a Roth IRA. The only one that would be an advantage uh, if you are eligible to do a deductible and there um, there's income limits that uh, that you have to fall under to be el- to be eligible for a deductible IRA. But it used to be, Bruce, that when you sat down with your CPA and you went through and then they would calculate your tax return, and then a lot of times they'd say, hey, you're eligible for this, like a deductible IRA. Do you want to do it or don't you want to do it? I absolutely do not see that very much anymore where the CPAs have time or the tax accountants have time to sit down with people and go through all these returns. So 
So it's more uh, on the consumer to um, ask questions, you know, if you're eligible for these things. Now, if you do a, a non-deductible or you do a Roth IRA, you can contribute before April 15th, and it does have income limitations there too, but it's not a deduction. But there is a deadline of April 15th to be able to contribute to one of those. Bruce? Yeah, that reminds me, Peg. So a lot of people right now are going to be doing their contributions for 2023 in traditional IRAs and Roth IRAs. And I've always tried to coach people if you if you if you know or you you think it's highly likely that you're going to be contributing, why do you wait so long? If 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 you would have contributed for 2023, for example, in January of 2023 instead of April of 24, you would have made a lot of money on your investment. It was a very good year in the stock market, but that money was not invested, was not contributed to your IRA because you wait to make your contribution until the the year's over. Um, and again, I know sometimes it's a cash flow thing and people maybe can't make the contribution sooner than they do. But I, I, if, if, it's, if, you're, if it's highly likely that you know you're going to do it, I would encourage people to do it as soon as possible, not wait till the end. Peg? Yeah. And then um, when you're working with your CPA or your tax accountant or something, I think I just have to suggest that you have patience because it still bugs me that everybody in the whole United States has to file their return by April 15th, right? It just makes no sense to me. Why cram it all in in the beginning of the year? My suggestion, and no one has taken it, is why not have four quarters? And based on the alphabet, so I'm a web, so I would probably be in the fourth quarter that my tax return is done versus cramming it all in in the beginning. Um, so when you hire a tax preparer, just Make sure you work through the process. You all know that they're super busy. Um, you, you don't want to just run into the CPA on the 12th of April and say, hey, I want to still get my return done. So I think it's a time where we all have to have super patience in um, allowing them to do their work. And then I like to see mine, and I, I, I'm um, – close enough to my, I probably could do my own return, but I don't want to, but I'm close enough to it that I'm able to review it and make sure that there isn't any inaccuracies. And once again, it's just that they're super busy that I don't blame them, but it is your responsibility to take a look at it, you know, before you say it's a-okay. Bruce? Yeah, we've only got a couple minutes and we're due for a break, but I love your idea of spreading out filing over the course of the year based on alphabet. I, it, it makes so much sense. Of course, the government will never do it. And, and think of the, the, the tax preparers, the CPAs, the stress level that they're under up until April 15th. We've all heard these horror stories of people working, you know, 16 hour days without sleeping to try to get all the returns done. It's just, it's crazy. Your suggestion is brilliant. I'd love to see that happen, but we probably never, never will. Um, Another one on our list, and I went out of order. I got excited earlier, but we do minimize your refunds. I already talked a little bit about that. And then, Peg, we got about a minute. Talk a little bit about um, selling an investment uh, and recognizing a tax, whether or not when's a good time to do that or not a good time to do that, or how do you make that decision? 
Well, just a couple of things, and I did have this on my um, list, is if you're filing standard, that means you're not itemizing. There are a couple things that you could tell the CPA or accountant about, like um, gambling losses, um, you know, miscellaneous itemized deductions that are kind of outside the itemized deduction sheet. And then just make sure capital losses, donations to charities, medical and dental, if you're going to itemize, you know, you have to actually kind of weigh both of them. And it's a good idea to, to put on your pile all these itemized deductions because you never know if you're going to be over the standard deduction or if there's something that you could deduct on a different line on your tax return. Bruce? Well, uh, we're about due for a break, I think, Susie. Yep. And uh, when we come back from break, listeners, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll wrap a bow on this discussion and we'll get listeners involved, Susie. All right, that sounds great. Again, you are listening to Your Money. And if you have a financial question for our speakers, you can call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is one eight 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 six advice and you can always email questions as well to your money at wealthenhancement.com. But as Bruce just mentioned, for the next half hour you can call our studio line at six five one four six one nine two two six or you can use that very same number, six five one four six one nine two two six to text your question and we'll pass it along on the other side of this quick. Welcome back to the second half of Your Money, reminding you if you are listening, you can ask our guest a question at any time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, one eight 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 six advice You can also email your questions to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com, but for the next 25 minutes, you can call or text this line, 651-461-9226. Now, once again, Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and Founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Welcome back to both of you. Thank you, Susie Jones. Uh, Thank you, listeners, for hanging in there with us. And uh, Peg and Susie, I'm glad you're both feeling better this week. Um, In the first half of the show, uh, everyone, if you joined us late, we've been talking about uh, tax planning this time of year, planning with your advisor and or your tax preparer. And we came up with a list of some do's in the first half of the show. Number one, do file as early as you can. Now, we also said be cautious because if you file too soon and then you get uh, updated or corrected 1099s, that can create a problem. So get your ducks in a row as soon as you can. And then probably wait until March and make sure that all of your 1099s are accurate and then file as soon as you can. If you file late, uh, the penalties could be severe. You don't want to file late. And we also talked about the fact that even if you file an extension, you're still obligated to make your payments or estimated payments by April 15th. Our second do was to use technology and file electronically. The the days of filling out your 1040 with a pencil and signing it on a, you know on a paper form uh, are are past us. You can do all this with you know auto sign and, and and use technology. It enhances accuracy. It enhances efficiency. If you're getting a refund, it probably expedites your refund. It's probably more secure, more safe. Um, protects you from uh, predators out there trying to get your information. So use technology. Number three, we talked about. Complicated things, complicated investments, or Peg mentioned, you know, maybe gambling wins or losses, anything unusual like that, make sure you consult your tax advisor 
before you know finalizing anything. If you're if you're on the fence about selling an investment that has embedded gains or embedded losses, talk to your uh, your your uh, tax preparer and or your advisor. There may be reasons why they might say don't sell it this year or you know wait till next year. Uh, just just make sure you're you're efficient and thorough if you have anything kind of out of the ordinary like that. Number four, we talked about uh, trying to minimize big refunds. I know some people do it on purpose. Um, I don't think it's ever a good idea. Uh, the, I, the, the perfect world, you hit the bullseye and you file your tax return and you don't owe the IRS anything and they don't owe you anything. Now, to hit the bullseye exactly is highly unlikely, but if you're getting a refund, it should be small, or if you owe anything, hopefully it's a small check that you're writing you did your tax planning during the year and got as close to hitting that bullseye as you can. And then, Peg, I don't think we mentioned this, but the, the only don't that we have on our list is don't make your tax uh, professional's life miserable. It's a hard enough job for them to crank out all these returns by April 15th. They don't, know, they don't need you walking into their office on April 12th with a, with a shopping bag full of stuff saying, can you get my return done in the next couple of days? So get, get the information to them as accurately and thoroughly and early as you can and comply with whatever they ask you to do and, and make their life easier so they can do their job. If you self-prepare on TurboTax or something like that, it's probably a good idea to get someone else to look over your shoulder and check your work. I know that's something that we do for some of our clients. Um, so that was our list. Peg, uh, Susie tells us we've got Texters already uh, sending in text questions. Anything else that you want to hit before we go to listeners? I think we go to listeners. All right. Very good. This person texts, uh, been with the sh- listening for a half an hour now. What would be an approximate age to possibly get out of the stock market and into something safer like certificates of deposits? Uh, great question. So, Peg, uh, market exposure versus not having market exposure. And I'll just elaborate a little bit on what the text, what I think the texter is saying. Uh, I think everybody listening and you and I would agree that the older you get, the less risk you want to take. We know that long-term stocks historically have given investors the highest rewards as compared to any other asset class, which is why we coach our clients to use stocks and participate in the stock market. But what age should you get out of the market? What age should you say, I'm too old now. I don't have enough time to recover if there's a retraction. I shouldn't be taking this risk anymore. Um, is, is there a particular age? Or comment on that, Peg. Talk a little bit about it. And uh, I think I know what you're going to say. And I'll see if I have anything to add. <laughs> okay. I, um, I would say you do not make that decision in isolation. Meaning, if I had a 95-year-old, and their the income that they have coming in, the fixed income that they have coming in, maybe from Social Security, they still have a pension, they've got living on some dividends. Uh, it's very possible that their value or something that's really important to them is to get money to the next generations. And so that would be an example of someone who's 95 that would still stay fully invested and maybe fully invested is 60% in the stock market, 40% in fixed income. But I have a client, a particular client that is 100% in the stock market because he is so afraid 
of inflation and the cost of things down the road for his extended family. And so once again, we ask lots of questions about what's important to you. What do you want your money to do for you? And that's within our comprehensive advice. When it comes to though, kind of the norm, that would be an outlier. When it comes to a norm, um, I would say most people are somewhere between 60 to 70% um, in the stock market uh, for most of their retired years. And you might say, oh my goodness, that sounds high. Well, it's um, a combination of things that you're trying to provide for yourself, meaning uh, contentment, um, contentment in that you have enough money for the rest of your life, um, contentment that the dangers that could hit you like long-term care expenses, some of the things that are gotchas, you know, later in life. So, and Bruce, you already said, one of the vehicles that you can use to try to keep up with inflation is growth or the stock market. So um, then there's a method of trying to protect that stock market side with, you know, maybe it's more dividend income, maybe it's more uh, combination of dividends and growth. Uh, right now, because we have fixed income, um, higher yields than we've ever seen for a very long time, uh, uh, you know, some clients are actually saying, you know, I'd like to hold back, maybe go down 10% um, on my growth, knowing that the stock market is high. And in, in general, I'm okay with that just because they're willing to not just put the money in the money market, they're willing to buy bonds that are a little longer term or create a ladder, a three-year, five-year, in some cases, 10-year uh, treasuries. And so those are examples, Bruce and Susie, of you know what would I do? What questions would I ask? That It's just not an all or nothing answer. Bruce? That was such a good answer, um, and, and, and the, but the, the question lends itself to a lot of different things that we can say, so I can add a little bit, but that was really, really good. Um, the only thing I would add, and we talk about it a lot in the show, we've talked about it a, the last few weeks, we coach our clients, we use our tool called the Your Money Matrix, and everybody, and, and I seldom say no one or everyone, but in this case, I will say everyone, Everyone should have short, medium, and long-term money. Now, long-term means growth. Long-term means money that presumably you don't need anytime soon. Now, someone might say, well, gosh, I'm 80 or 90 years old. I don't, I don't have any long-term. Well, that's not true. You might still live another 10, 12, 15 years, and you may have money that you, you know you're not going to need no matter how long you live, as I said, that's really legacy money or money to leave to your kids or, or loved ones or the next generation. Now, I would say that the older you get, the less long-term money you probably want. That, that makes sense. But I don't know if you ever get out of stocks completely. But having said that, now I'm going to argue with myself because as much as I believe in stocks for the long term, I also don't believe in my clients taking risks that they don't need, meaning if you can have most of your money in fixed income accounts and, you, and you're never going to spend all the money you've got, why take risks to get returns that you don't need? And so as we go through life, we probably, up to a certain age, our focus as investors is on growth. But as we get older, 
our priority may change from growth to preservation of what we've got and or income to fund our retirement from what we've got. And when we're changing to, to, from, to preservation or to income, we're going to choose some other investments besides stock or besides growth. So it's a great question, but you're right. It doesn't have an easy answer. You and I both gave answers that are correct. But, but there's even more to it than that, but we only have an hour show. But the last thing I'll mention really quickly, there used to be a formula. I've never used it, Peg. I don't think you have either. But there used to be this rule of thumb. In recent weeks, I've talked about how I feel about rules of thumb. But there used to be a rule of thumb that you take 100, you subtract your age, and the, and the, the resulting answer is the percent of your overall money that should be exposed to stocks. So if you take 100 as an example and you're 75 years old, then 25% of your money should be in stocks. Well, I don't buy that rule at all. Uh, I don't like rules of thumb. We're all different. Everybody's a snowflake. No two people are exactly alike. And how much stock exposure, how much bond and other fixed income, how much cash, that's going to be different for every person in every situation. But I think you can say in just broad general terms, that the older we get, the more conservative we become. We focus more on preservation and income, less on growth. But we always, almost always want some growth, as Peg said, because we want our money to keep pace with inflation. It's one thing to, to lose money if the stock market retracts, but long term, it, 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 it comes back. So people are afraid of that risk, that risk of losing principal. But there's also a risk of losing purchasing power if the rate of return aggregately on your money is less than the inflation rate. Even though you don't have risk of principal, your, your money becomes less valuable as you get a return that, that keeps pace with inflation, which is one of the biggest reasons why you're all, almost always going to want some exposure to stock. So I know that seemed like a simple question, Peg, but you, you and I both mm -hmm. uh, answered it. Um, very thoroughly, and there's probably even more things we could say. But again, we only have an hour show, Susie. All right. 651-461-9226. You can call that number or you can text the question to Bruce and Peg. This texter writes, we have a joint WROS account. Let's say we put $10,000 into the account and now it's worth 20000 Can we withdraw the original ten without paying a penalty, and could you guys, for me, explain what a WROS is? Peg, are you familiar with that acronym, WROS? No, it, um, rights of survivorship. Okay. Um, you know, are, are, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. That's not probably one of the ones we use. Okay. But do you want to just do a different question real quick? Because we have others that we can take. Well, I think we can just answer that just a little bit here. Um, it's if you have ten thousand dollars, and let's just say it is rights of survivorship, like it's a joint account, and a lot of times it's a husband and wife uh, joint account, and you put in ten thousand dollars. The 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 um, labeling, if you will, or the the way that you have opened the account dictates upon death to one of you, what would happen? And so if you start with 10,000 and you, and you grew it to 20,000, that still means that with rights of survivorship, in this case, you, we actually each own a hundred percent. So 
So if the husband dies, then the person, the right of survivorship will get 100% of that in their name. Now, there's other terms like tenants in common, or um, if you have individual ownership, then that changes all the rules. But it has nothing to do with the growth or the loss of the investment. It's how would that investment be treated um, after you die? Susie? Okay, 651-461-9226. A texter writes, explain about contributions. Does it pay to enumerate what you have donated? Is there a limit or what is the credit flag for being audited? Oh, man, Peg. There's all kinds of uh, theories and uh, disagreements about um, what you can do, you know, things that increase your chances of getting audited or things that decrease your chances of getting audited. The IRS will tell you it's completely random. I don't know if anybody believes that. Peg, any, any thoughts on uh, avoiding an audit? No, I mean, I, I, I guess uh, in all the years and looking at millions of tax returns, uh, I would say it's it's a best efforts basis, right? I mean, it's it's you you complete your return. Um, I, just my experiences, it is totally random, meaning I haven't seen a pattern of them auditing, you know, these types of returns or um, so. I, it, and it's kind of a mystery, right? It's they don't have. Oh, if I Googled how many returns are audited for this reason. You're not going to find that information. Uh, you can t- talk to your CPA or your uh, tax preparer, and they may have more insight since they do tax returns for thousands of people um, and see what they say. But my opinion is that very difficult one uh, to be able to say, oh, it's this. And maybe if it's not this, then it's that. Mm. Uh, but it can continue to go down the road. And, and um, it, to me, it's very arbitrary, Bruce. Well, I, you know, I've been audited twice in my life, and both times I came through it fine, but it's no fun at all. Um, but the one time I know that we were audited, I think they, they more or less told us kind of what raised the red flag. As, 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 as I became more financially successful, I greatly increased my charitable giving. So from one year to another, I, I, my charitable giving was, was like, triple or quadruple what I had done before. And that raised a red flag and made them take a closer look at me. So I think by their own admission, that wasn't random. That was something that they saw that they wanted to take a closer look. But I was, in effect, I'm not complaining, but I was, in effect, being penalized by my own generosity. So um, I don't know. I just don't know, Susie. Okay. 651-461-9226. This texture writes, I have to take RMD. This year, I have an annuity I'm not taking payments from and an IRA. Is it better to take my RMD from my annuity or IRA or some from both? Okay. Well, if both of them are titled under IRA, which I'm assuming here is because you can buy an annuity, that's a type of investment in an IRA, and then if you have another IRA, well, let's say you have some stocks or bonds or, or funds or something like that, you actually, um, and this wasn't always the case, 
but you ha- actually can take your entire RMD from any one account that you want to, or you can take it out of several accounts. That made it harder for people, right? Because then now they have to make a decision. Oh, which one should I take it out of? Well, in this case, if it's an annuity and it has some features and benefits that you actually really like that might benefit you longer term, maybe you don't take from that annuity and take from um, your more liquid um, IRA. So I, my suggestion would be you know, uh, to look at what's the inside holdings of your annuity and what are the features and benefits and then what are the in, inside holdings of your IRA. And then maybe some people will say, okay, because the stock market's so high right now, maybe we actually take our required minimum distribution from the stock side. Well, if the stock market was terrible right now, then you might take it from money market or your fixed income side. The reason I bring that up is because Wealth Enhancement Group is a hands-on distribution planner, meaning what I just said is something that we're doing every day with our clients. Now, there are some advisors and some individuals listening today that might just take a pro rata distribution out of their um, IRA, and let's say it's 50% stocks and 50% bonds, and they'll just say, okay, whatever percentage the IRS wants me to take out, I want to take a portion from my stocks and I want to take a portion from my bonds and call it a day. Um, Wealth Enhancement Group just takes it one step deeper and says, oh, well, if the stock market's doing so good, maybe that's when we take it from that particular holding. Bruce? Susie, I know we're almost out of time here, but just really quickly, I will say it again. I think that's a great answer. But this is exactly what we've been talking about in recent weeks, the Wealth Enhancement Smart Money Strategy. We work with clients in retirement income planning and make sure they spend the smartest money first. But that whole annuity thing, if it's got some sort of living benefit, generally, the longer you wait, the bigger the benefit gets. So it's like Social Security. Do I take it sooner and get more checks, but they're smaller? Or do I wait longer and get less checks, but they're bigger? We'll help you figure that out if you're not sure. It is a complex question that you shouldn't try to do by yourself. And Susie, I know we're out of time. Yes, we are right against it, but we really appreciate all the text questions. We did not get to all of them. So anyone listening right now, you can email your question to your money at wealthenhancement.com and there is a twenty four hour seven day a week phone number as well to call one eight 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 six advice. And Bruce and Peg, thank you so very much. I know people can call and get a free consultation too. So if you're just curious, call that number eight 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 six advice or email your questions to your money at wealthenhancement dot com. Make it a great week.